0: Of our members from our Missouri City campus, our Darrington campus, and our Sugar Land campus today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Just before I walked into this worship center, I noticed there is so much upfront parking. It is literally everywhere. But we're not here, we're at home. And in fact, did you know I just heard the news? We have over 1,000 families. 1,000 families that are tuning in to this broadcast. Isn't that incredible? That is fantastic. So, for every one of you who invited someone to tune into the broadcast, yay, God for you. We've been going through a pretty wild ride with this coronavirus thing, and all of us have been glued to the news, and we've been listening to uh, all of the pundits talking about this coronavirus, and we've read so many things. There's all kinds of perspectives out there. Three perspectives in particular caught my attention. One is from a guy who is, says he is a medical doctor. I don't know if that's really true, but he says that he is, and he says that all of this is a government conspiracy, and it's all overblown. It's not nearly what they say, and it's just to make us all afraid. Well, no, I'm not buying that one. And there's another one from a woman who says she's an RN, and maybe she is an RN, and she is saying this is all a government conspiracy. And it's all underblown. It is so much worse than they're telling us. And all of us are going to die. No, no, I'm not thinking that one's right either. But you know, I heard another one, a third one, from a guy who's got a lot of credentials. This guy is a big, big big-time surgeon. And he is a part of actually the team that's helping us in the United States sort of get to the other side of it. And here's what he said. And it just stuck with me. He said this. He said, I just wish everybody would calm down. I wish everybody would just calm down. The truth is, we're gonna be fine. And here's what he said. This one took me by surprise. He said, by the way, I, talking about himself, I am going to get the coronavirus. That's what he said to all of us. I'm gonna get the coronavirus. And everyone that is listening to me, probably most of you are gonna get the coronavirus either this year or next year or the year after that. And for 98%, 99% of us that get this, you know what's going to happen? We're going to get a cold. We're going to get severe flu. And we're going to be achy. And we're going to have pain. And we're going to have fever. And we're going to cough and sneeze. And we're going to go through all that stuff for three or four days. And then we're going to be fine. And we're going to come out on the other side. So he said, I wish everybody would calm down. Now for the one or two percent, it's going to be tough sledding. He said, these are going to be those who are more at risk. These are people that are, that are maybe older. and These are individuals who maybe have a respiratory problem or diabetes or those kinds of things. And you've got to take care of yourself. Here's what I'm going to say to you. He said this to us. He said, you need to stay home. You need to call in sick. You need to stay home. You need to be away from other people. Go on walks and that sort of thing, but just don't be around other people. You've got to take care of yourself. You've got to make sure that everything is disinfected and stays that way. And you've got to stay away from big groups. And if you will do this, it will pass you by. It will pass over you. Now, you know, when I heard him say all these things, I thought, now this this rings true to me. And in fact, I have now heard the stories of two individuals who've had coronavirus that are Americans, and one of them, an elderly man, and one of them, a young woman. And both of them told the story of what they experienced, and it was the same story. Both of them told the story of feeling a cold and then a flu sort of coming on and feeling achy and, and uh, with a fever and coughing and sneezing and everything comes with a flu. And then a few days later, they were perfectly fine. And both of them gave that same story. And the young gal actually said, did you know that I was on the mend? I was almost healed by the time I found out I had coronavirus. She said, I didn't even know it until right when I was back to normal again. And she said, I just want to encourage you. It, it's, not, it's not as bad as everybody is saying. And just, just be calm. Don't panic. Now I'm not trying to undermine the seriousness of this day. I'm not trying to do that because there, it is a serious day, and it, and this is very uh, communicable, and we we can see an epidemic happening if we're not careful. And I so I understand this, and we need to be careful. But it's a good thing, not to panic. I don't know about you, but I I've been watching on some of the news stations and. And some of these guys are political pundits. Have you been hearing them? And um, you see, everybody has already chosen up sides. There's no such thing as balanced reporting anymore. It doesn't exist. And I agree. What people say, we tend to tune in to the station that says what we want to hear. And all of us have a tendency to do that. And everybody's cho- chosen up sides. And I'm listening to some of these guys and on both sides and they first start talking about how much they care about us and then immediately they start bashing the other team. And both sides are doing it. You know what? I just wish for just a moment, are you sick of all the politics and and all the screaming and yelling at each other? I just wish for just a moment it could not be about politics. For just a moment that it could be about Americans supporting Americans and human beings supporting human beings. Isn't it possible that we could see that happen? And for every one of that wants let's just say a big amen. And there's amens all over Southwest Houston. It's true. So what do we do? How do we, how do we face this moment? Well, the first thing is to not panic because We've actually been through these days before. Do you remember the coronavirus of 2002? It was called SARS, and it originated in China, and we got through it just fine. Do you remember in 2009 what was called the swine flu? And it originated either in the United States or in Mexico or maybe at the same time in both. But did you know that it was a pandemic, just like it is right now, and it went all over the world, and two out of every ten people in the whole world, the whole population of the planet, got infected with a swine flu. And did you know, there were many people that died, but they were the at-risk people, that's what happened. But most of the people, it was just like the flu, and then it came to the other side, and we're on the other side of it. And do you remember the the coronavirus of 2012? Uh, It it was called MERS or MERS, and it it was from the Middle East. It came and went. And, And Ebola in 2018 from Africa. And now this is the coronavirus of 2020. And what I'm trying to say to you is we've really been here before. Now, every one of these are a little bit different. Every one of these come out a little bit a different strain, and this is why it's so challenging at the beginning, but it was for every single one of them. So why is this happening? Because this isn't the last one. It's because it's a small world after all. It's because there's a whole lot of people on this planet, and there is great uh, transportation, and a little virus pops out somewhere, and you can be, it can be on the other side of the world in just hours. And this is our new normal. But one day, they're going to come up with something that as soon as that virus pops up, we can, can nip it in the bud right then and there. But it's not there now. And so this is our new normal. And it's going to be okay. We've been here before. So, so what do we do? How do we deal with this? Well, first of all, not panic because we've been here before. But second of all, then control what you can control and there are 3 things we can control the first is our outlook our perspective and it begins our outlook begins with god there is a god on the throne in heaven and he's in control of this whole universe just as pastor libben prayed earlier that's true and so we start our perspective always starts with god because he's the one that created All of this, and he is intricately involved in our lives. But, second of all, we can control now our actions, and it's at this time we got to wash our hands more often than we have washed our hands before, it's got to be 20 seconds. I mean, I've never done 20 seconds before, but it's got to be 20 seconds. You've got to count 20 seconds every single time. And why? Because it takes 20 seconds to finally kill all the germs. And so we've got to wash our hands, it seems like, all the time. We've got to keep everything sterilized. We've we got to stay home more often. We've got to stay home more often. You're going to have to find those board games. And I didn't say boring games. I said board games. And you're going to have to start and watch movies together and start being with each other as a family. What a novel concept. And we got to stay out of big groups. And that's why we're doing today what we're doing. There are some churches, you're going to hear about churches, that are meeting in their buildings today, and I understand. And we were going to do the same thing. We were. We were planning. We had gotten all the plan together. But then we heard Mayor Turner and uh, the representatives from the medical center, and they just said to us, "What, what, what you might not understand is we're at a key moment of time. We will lose this time very quickly. We're at a key moment in time in which we could actually stop this thing. Because it's not all over Houston. If we right now stopped meeting in big groups, right now, even though it seems like, hey, this is way premature, we thought it was premature by at least a week. But even though you might think it's premature, here's the truth. If we could stop the big groups right now, we could mitigate what is happening in this city, we could get it more under control. And we started thinking about this. You know, the truth is, somebody walks into a service, uh, in the building service, and they are already contagious, but don't even know it. They're, there's no symptoms, and they can, they can then spread the virus to a whole bunch of people. They don't even know they're doing it, and the other people don't know it's happening. And we stopped and thought about it, and we said, you know what? This isn't just about us, this is about our neighbors. We need to cooperate. And we made the decision to do it. So look, while we're in this stage, while we're in this time, and you hear that somebody in your small group, in your connect group, is sick, and maybe they're sick with a coronavirus, we got to help each other. We need to cook food for each other. We need to take food by there. So you, you cook that food, tell them you're coming. Then when you get to the house, you lay it there on the front porch, ring the doorbell, and run like crazy. No, no, I'm just kidding about the last part. we got to help each other. We've got to be there for each other. And if I get sick with coronavirus, I want pies. Yeah, my, my doctor has has uh, prescribed a diet of pies and ice cream if I get sick with coronavirus. I just want you to know that. We have an opportunity and a responsibility as the church of Jesus Christ to be the hands and feet of Jesus at this time. Do you remember what happened with the Hurricane Harvey? At the, the rain stopped, and immediately by the hundreds, out we came. By the thousands, out we came. We began to organize. We, we started cleaning out the homes of our members that had gotten flooded. We started cleaning out the homes of our neighbors, people that didn't know us. We didn't know them. We didn't even know how to do it, but we learned as we went. And we were the hands and feet of Jesus Christ in this region. And we've got to do that again. We already know that Second Mile Mission Center is going to need our help. There are people who are under-resourced that couldn't go out and buy half of the toilet paper in the city of Houston, like you did. They, they need toilet paper. They, they need cleaning supplies. They, they need some medicines that are now totally off the shelves, over-the-counter medicines. They're going to need that, and we can take that by and take some food by and help them. And We've got widows in our own church. We've got, we've got people that are shut-ins in our own church. They couldn't get out and, and get what they needed and and here we are. These are our members. These are our people. Look, we are the hands and feet of Jesus in this city. And we need to get out of our homes and go and help. And give to Second Mile Mission Center and give to the churches we're helping other people. And say, I'm willing to take the food by. I'm willing to take the medicine by. I'm here. And help each other in this moment. And I hope that you open your heart to do that. Our city government's going to need our help. Our schools are going to need our help. Our Christian schools and our public schools are going to need our help. And I'm asking us, let's be Jesus Christ in this city during this time. So what what can we do? We need to control what we can control. We can control our outlook. We can control our actions. And third of all, we can control our attitude. And it's the attitude I want to talk to you about today. We began a new series a few weeks ago entitled, Thriving in a Hostile World, and only God could have planned this series at this moment in our church's life. And we have noticed, as we've been going through the series, how many examples of a hostile world we have been living through. And of all things, how could we have known? No, we couldn't. Here is the coronavirus. And here is the moment of time we need this message Attitude's everything. Have you heard that statement? Attitude's everything. And I want to talk to you about that. And notice what James says in James chapter 1, verses 16 to 18. Do not be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. In the exercise of his own will... He, meaning God, brought us forth by the word of truth so that we might be, as it were, the first fruits among all of his creatures. So what does this mean? What is he telling us? Well, the first thing he's saying to us is this. Our attitude about life is rooted in our belief about God. Our attitude of our life is rooted in our belief about God. James says in James chapter 1, verse 16, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. And I've always thought that that was reflective. That verse was about the sin he'd already talked about. But it's actually reflective about the nature of God. And it goes all the way back to the verse 13. In James 1.13, let no man say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. Because God cannot be tempted with evil, neither does he tempt anyone else. God is for us. God is lifting us up. He's not trying to tear us down. That's Satan trying to tear us down. But God is for us and he's lifting us up. I don't want you to be mistaken, my dear brothers and sisters, about the nature of God. And there is another part of this nature, he says in the very next verse. The second thing that James is talking about with the nature of God is that God is a good giver. God is a good giver. Look at what he says in James chapter 1 verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Now stop for a moment. Twice in this passage, in this phrase of verse 17, he uses the word gift. Twice it is translated by the English word gift, but the Greek words are different. The two different Greek words are what is used. The first Greek word is the word dosis, D O S I S, and dosis is actually a Greek word that is talking about the giver. The giver. And the second word is dorema, D O R A Y M A, dorema, and it's talking about the gift itself. And the literal translation of this phrase is this God is a good giver. He gives perfect gifts. That is the literal translation of, of this phrase. God's a good giver. So now what makes God such a good giver? Well, God is a good giver because he knows us completely. The Bible says in Psalm 139, verse 1 to three: "O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up. You understand my thoughts thoughts from afar. You scrutinize my path, my path and my lying down. You are intimately acquainted with all my ways. He sees all of us wherever we are with this broadcast. He sees all of us and all of our families right now all at the same time. And the key phrase I want you to grab hold of is that phrase, Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. It gives this image And I love the image. It gives this image of God hovering over us and searching us out. I want to know you. I want to understand who you are, who I have made you to be. He hovers over us, and he knows us. He searches us out. Let me give you an example of that. If you and I were tasked with the same task, of buying a gift for my wife, Kathy. If you and I were tasked with the same task of buying a gift for my wife, Kathy, I could do a better job than you. I could, and I know that men are notoriously bad giver choices of gifts. I know that. I know that. But I would do a better job than you, and I'm going to tell you why. Because I've been married to her a long time, and I love her, and I have searched her out. I know what she likes. I know what she needs. I know what she prefers. I know these things about Kathy. I I know her better than you do. I have searched her out. And because of that, I know exactly what she would want. I do a better job at giving the gift because I've searched her out. And this is what God is saying about you and me. I have searched you out. I'm a good giver because I know you. Second of all, he says God is a good giver because he loves what he knows about us. And that is sort of the surprise of the passage. He knows us, and he still loves us. Of all of our messes, well, but God doesn't realize all the bad stuff that I'm going to do in the future. Oh, no, he knows everything about you, all your past, all your future, every single thing. And he is still chosen to love you. Will we ever get over that? And here is what the Bible says in Jeremiah 29 verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And what does the Bible say in Jeremiah 31 3? I have loved you with an everlasting love, therefore with loving kindness I've drawn you to Myself. God's such a good giver to us because he first of all knows us and second of all, he loves what he knows about us. The third thing, God is such a good giver because we're special to him. And listen to what he says in James 1:17: Every good gift and every perfect, every perfect gift. That word perfect means to be complete, fulfilling the need and the purpose. God is saying I don't am not just a good giver. I give you perfect gifts. I give you exactly what you need, and I give you exactly what fits my purpose in your life. Sometimes our attitudes kind of stink, if you think about it, because... Things aren't happening the way we want them to happen, and we say to God, "If you would have, if you would have let me be a part of this decision, I could have done a better job than you. If you would have let me have a say in this, I, it would have turned out much better than it did." But the problem is, is that God knows what is around the bend. He knows what is on the other side of the hill, and the truth is. He knows what best fits His purposes and best fits our needs, and we do not. There's a fourth thing. God is a good giver because He will never change His view of us. James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness... Neither shadow of turning. And all that means is God won't change His opinion of you. He won't ever stop loving you. Now, He does say He will discipline us if we're going down the wrong direction. He will discipline us, Hebrews 12 verse 6, for whom the Lord loves, He disciplines. But He won't throw us away. He will never throw you away, he'll never change his view of you, he'll never change his opinion of you, because he sees Jesus in you. So notice what it's about, God knows you, he loves you, you're special to him, and he will never change his view of you. So look, our attitude about about life is rooted, our attitude is rooted in our belief about God. Let this kind of attitude reign in your heart because you are understanding the nature of God. Now, there's a second thing. Our attitude about life is motivated by our belief of who we are to God. We are a part of God's very own family. And that's what he's saying in verse 18. He says this, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we might be, as it were, the first fruits among his creatures now we don't talk like this today nobody nobody says these kinds of phrases and words so what in the world is he saying what does he mean it's basically this God had a will has a will that you would be his child and it's been his will since the beginning of the universe it is God's heart and will that you would be a member of his family All of us are God's creation, but not all of us are the family of God. See, in order to be God's child, you got to be born again. That's what Jesus said. you got to turn your heart by faith to Jesus Christ. Oh, God, I see the sin in my life, and I recognize it, and it's true. It is exactly what you say about it. And, God, I come to you, and I ask your forgiveness, and I turn my heart to Jesus Christ. I believe Jesus rose again from the grave and I want him to be the boss of my life and I turn my heart by faith to Jesus Christ. And the very moment that you make that decision to do that, you become a child of God. And it's been God's will that you would do this. He's been waiting for you. Give your heart to him. And not only is it God's will that you and I come to know Jesus Christ as our Savior and become a part of the family of God, but he also says this, He says that there is a decision that God has made that can never be altered, that one day you and I will come to look and be just like Jesus Christ. We will be the pride and joy of his creation. Can you imagine this? That one day you and I will come to know Jesus as Savior. And it's already been determined that we will. This is going to be successful. We understand this as a church, and this is why we put this together in what we call a purpose statement. And I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask you to say this so loud that the whole Southwest Houston area can hear us in your house. Are you ready? Our purpose is, would you say it with me? To love and lead all people to life change in Christ. That whole idea of life changing Christ is one day we will be like Jesus. And he is changing us little by little by little by little. And one day it will be finished and completed. And when will that be? Well, he tells us this in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 and 3. Friends, now we are the children of God. This is what James was saying. Now we are the children of God. And it does not yet appear that we, what we shall be. But we know that when Jesus shall appear... We shall be like him. Why? For we will see him as he is. So when's it going to happen? Well, it, for many, it's going to happen when our spirit leaves our body. And they're having our funeral. But we're not dead. We're in heaven and we see Jesus. And at the very moment we see Jesus, we will be Finally transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Or it could be that Jesus comes back. Like he said he's going to do before we die. And the moment he appears in the sky and we see him. We are transformed immediately. And we go flying to meet him in the air. It's going to be one of these two times. And in these three verses here is what James is telling us. That in everything. God has an ultimate goal in mind, in everything. Even in coronavirus, God has a will and purpose for everything to make us more like Jesus. So you say, well, what does all this have to do with my attitude, for crying out loud? Well, based upon these truths about God, we are released to have a positive attitude. When I know that God loves me, And that one day I will be just like Christ. I can become content with what God has already given me. Because I already know the end result. I know how it all turns out. We talked about this last week when we're talking about contentment. Do you remember? And last week in 1 Timothy 6 verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. And he says this. If we'll live for God and we we will obey God and strive for God and we are willing to be content. We will be so rich. That's what great gain means. We will be so rich. Doesn't mean we have all the money in the world, but we will be so rich in life. And I said to you last week that in America it seems like contentment is almost a cuss word, but actually the word contentment is the key to happiness. You want to be happy? We all want to be happy. The key to happiness is contentment. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians 4, 11, and 12. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content. Whatever the circumstances. Hey, we're in whatever the circumstances right now. I've learned to be content. I've learned. Circle the word learned. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I, I've learned. There it is again, learned, that circle of the word learned, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether fed, well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Second, a positive attitude comes when we learn how to be contented with God's leadership. He has a great plan for you. And it is apparent that in the midst of that plan, coronavirus, at least being involved in a pandemic, whether we get it or not, is part of his plan. If you'll step back and think about it, you have so many open doors, it's unbelievable. Unbelievable how many open doors you have. And then every so often, God says no, and he closes a door. So when he closes the door, how do you react? Okay, school is not going to be in now. We find out for two or three weeks at least. Which means they're home. Yeah, yeah, it means they're home. Now, you open so many doors for your children. You give them food. You give them clothing. You give them safety from coronavirus. You give them a house to, or apartment to live in. You You give them a roof over their heads. You give them so many things. But the moment you say, no, what happens? Is it a meltdown? Okay, kids, you're listening to me. No meltdowns. No meltdowns when no happens. But my question is, when God says no to us, is that what he sees in us, a meltdown? I'm so upset with God, you said no, you closed the door? No, becoming contented, even with his leadership in our life, is the key to happiness. A few years ago, a guy named Prentice Henderson died in Pearland, Texas at the age of 100. He was really just a young whippersnapper compared to Mary Coffey, a member of our church, who passed away just recently at 110. Well, Prentice Henderson was a butcher, died at 100, and he was a butcher who worked all the way into his 70s, a butcher for a grocery store, all the way into his 70s. And for 30 years, he taught... 7th grade boys Sunday school. 30 years. Look, we get our boys 7th grade just one year. And oh, yay God, it's it's done. Our boys are great, wonderful. Yes, they are. But 7th grade, this is a little bit of a hard time for everybody, 7th grade. And he was a 7th grade Sunday school teacher for 30 years. There is a special place in heaven for men like this. And did you know that everybody said he always had this motto for a hundred years, this motto, I choose to be happy. And his, his daughter at his funeral said he was always positive regardless of the situation. He always chose to be happy. When I know that God loves me as he does and that one day I will be like Christ, I can stop grumbling and complaining And focus on the positive side of life. Look, I get it why so many people are gripers. I get it. If I did not know Jesus as my Savior, if I was in some other religion, if I didn't didn't know anything about God, I would have a lot to grumble about. But you and I know Jesus, and we've committed our heart by faith to Him. And He says, none of us should be grumblers and gripers. Stop all this complaining, he is saying. See the positive side of life. It's a learned process. Be willing to learn it. For Philippians 2 verse 14 and 15 says this, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. And it is. But he says, in this crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine as stars. You shine in the dark world. This is what he is saying. This is the time. This is the time to shine. It's about our attitude. This is the time to shine. It's the time to shine as the hands and feet of Jesus Christ in this region helping people in need. And with our city government and with our schools, it is the time, Sugar Creek Baptist Church, to stand up and shine and say, God, you can count on us. We will be a part of touching the lives of other people. We'll be a part of that. And all of you that are listening to me right now that have never given your heart to Christ, would you give your heart to him? Would you accept him into your life? Would you say yes to Jesus Christ right now. In fact, I'm going to ask everybody to bow your your head and close your eyes and I'm going to ask you just to reach out to the monitor and and I'm going to ask especially right now at first, I'm going to ask for those of you who are listening, if you've never given your heart to Christ, you can give your heart to Jesus right now. And would you pray this prayer with me? Oh God, I know I'm a sinner and I cannot save myself I know that Jesus came and he lived a perfect life and he died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin and he rose again from the grave and right now I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior would you come into my heart and save me right now. Now for all the rest of us who know Christ as Savior and we're reaching out our hand to the monitor. Oh God, use us. Let this be a day in which we do not yield to panic and we do not yield to fear. Let this be a day that we rise up. And we as the people of God touch the members of our church in need, and the people around this region through Second Mile who have need, and touch our city government and let them know we're here for them, and touch our school system and let them know we're here for them. And God, use us to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ in this region. And God, today, we say yes to you. You can use us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, would you call the person who invited you to be on this broadcast? Or call the church office. We won't be back in the church office until Monday, but call us. Give us a chance to help you out. We want to help you in your walk with God. And if you're a member of the church and you want to help, You can call Second Mile directly or you can call our church office and you can go online. If you go online with our church app or online, you will go to the coronavirus page and scroll down and you can see the beginning and it's going to be emerging all this week. Check in with us. We want you to be a part. We'll get you involved. Thanks for tuning in today. Thank you so much for being willing to be flexible today. And I want to end This service, the way we end the service all the time. And would you say it with me? Our purpose is to love and lead all people to life change in Christ. God bless you. Have an awesome week. And I'm not sure where you're going to see us next Sunday, but we'll be communicating, so be listening. It'll either be in the buildings or it'll be at home, but we will be together. God bless you. We'll see you back next week.